Yo, welcome into a pleasantly unexpected episode 102 of the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for listening. One of the goals I've always had for House of L is it would allow me to run a media company, a super small media company that as it stands right now really just is me. Like I'm House of L, I'm the whole company. We have branched out into doing things on YouTube. So you can check out stuff on YouTube. If you search House of L podcast, the last two, I'm experimenting. It's still in the beta testing stage, but the stuff is up there. And I'll see if I put this up there too. But I'm really happy that I have the opportunity to put this episode up. As you know, Rick Camp was one of the financial casualties over at The Score last week. We have been talking about for months that Campy needs to be doing a basketball podcast because he knows a lot about what's going on with basketball. So after he took a little bit of time to figure out like what's next, and that's still a thing, I told him that he should still be doing his basketball podcast, whether it's at the score or not. And luckily, he happens to know someone who owns a small media company that could give him a platform to boost his podcast. So he's going to do... it's The basketball camp is going to be his podcast, but I thought for an episode zero, it works out great. I can put the podcast on House of L. I can then pay Rick Camp for his hard work on this podcast, and you get to hear really good basketball Bulls analysis. It's a win-win-win. So please, enjoy episode 102. It's my guy Rick Camp doing the work, breaking it down. You want to know about the Bulls? I got some Bulls stuff for you. Here's Rick Camp's debut, episode zero of, well, I think he calls it episode one, of Basketball Camp. Let's go. From downtown, it's Basketball Camp Bulls Edition with Rick Camp. Welcome into the first edition of basketball camp i'm rick camp your host and excited to have a new platform to be able to talk about the nba and the chicago bulls with you before i go any further i want to make sure to thank lawrence holmes for giving me the platform on house of l to put out this first episode of basketball camp bulls edition with all the news surrounding the chicago bulls and their search for a new executive vp of basketball operations before we get into that we're going to cover that from front to back and where the search stands as of right now. just want to give you a little bit about what this podcast is going to be. First of all, I want everybody for all updates to follow me on Twitter at Rick C. Camp. And we have an email set up to answer your questions, any topics you want to hear as well. Always in for listener feedback. Email basketballcamppod at gmail.com. So if you heard Tim Kitzrow, the voice of NBA Jam, on the intro on the way in, He said, this is Basketball Camp Bulls Edition. That's because ideally I want to be able to do two different varieties. 
I want to be able to, during the season, at least when there are games, have two episodes a week to do a Bulls episode for those in the Chicago area that know me from my time at 670 The Score that want all the latest on the Bulls, and also those of you in Chicago and around the country that want the latest on the NBA. So a two days a week will be the ideal way that I want to do this when things get back to some semblance of normalcy. So with all the news around the Bulls right now, they really, I guess this could qualify as both. For once, the Bulls are relevant right now, and maybe the story of the NBA outside of COVID-19. So I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into it. As I mentioned before, the Bulls are looking for a new executive VP of basketball ops. I'm kind of, I'm giggling because it doesn't seem real. As it was pointed out by John Hollinger of The Athletic, there have been more popes since 1985 than there have been Bulls main decision makers. Just let that sink in for a moment. It's wild to think of three popes, two executives. So let's run down. We're going to go more chronologically through this, but just for the latest, because since I set up everything to record today, three more names have been added to the list of candidates that have been interviewed by the Bulls. The two that everybody knows from before coming into today, by the way, it's about 2 o'clock Central Time on Wednesday when I'm recording here, Justin Zanuck, the GM of the Utah Jazz, and Arturis Karnaschovas, the GM of the Denver Nuggets, have been interviewed. And just coming out a little while ago, former Hawks and Cavs GM Danny Ferry, former Hawks GM Wes Wilcox, and man of many burner accounts as well as former executive for three different franchises, Brian Colangelo, have all been interviewed by the Chicago Bulls for that executive VP of basketball ops job. And one thing that I'm always fascinated in, especially when thinking about the Bulls, is the outward perception of the Bulls organization. Because sometimes we're just so insular with keeping track of everything going on with the Bulls, good, bad, or indifferent, mostly bad lately though, that maybe we need to take that step back. So seeing what national writers, what national pundits have to say, I think is interesting and is valid. So another thing I want to do on this podcast is incorporate a good amount of audio. We're going to have guests, of course. I also want you to hear from some of the biggest names in the basketball world. So the first thing I want to do is kind of compare and contrast what a couple of the biggest national writers out there think of the Bulls and where they're at right now. So first, let's take a listen to, this is from the Woj pod last week, it was Adrian Wojnarowski and Bobby Marks talking about, principally, the Bulls' vacancy. So here's what Woj thinks about if the Bulls' job is considered actually good. The the people you talk to in the league still think Chicago is an elite job. It's it's a plum job. You have, you know, ownership there. You know, Michael Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf's son is the president and, you know, really operates the organization. And, you know, by all accounts, he wants to let basketball people run basketball operations. That's not the case with ownership everywhere. And that makes a job more appealing uh, to candidates that they know they can go in. Nobody has full autonomy. You know, very few executives really truly have full autonomy. But that's a place where I, I think the belief is they're going to let you make the decisions and 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 hire and make deals and decisions and draft and trade and do all the things that uh, a president slash GM wants or feels like he needs to do. So that that's certainly. Uh, uh, makes the job more appealing. It's Chicago. It's one of the greatest cities in the world. It's an incredible basketball town. Y- you know the history there. 
it resonates all over the world. The Bulls still do because of Michael Jordan. And, you know, that still makes it a place that resonates with players. Okay, so that's a real positive view of what the Bulls are right now as an organization. Leaning on the legacy, leaning on the big city, things that may have not mattered or not worked necessarily in their favor in the recent past, but maybe with a better organization, they could be accentuated as positives. Now let's go to the contrast. Mark Stein of the New York Times puts out a newsletter, and here's just an excerpt from what he mentioned about how the Bulls are handling this search. Quote, Hopes that ownership would pursue the likes of Toronto's Masai Ujiri or Oklahoma City's Sam Presti were snuffed out quickly, presumably because the Bulls are not prepared to compete financially for executives from the league's top tier, but also because they don't attract such candidates. The job simply isn't as desirable as it should be in a major market, and considering Chicago's storied history, given the state of the roster and the organization's sullied reputation. The Bulls will have to prove to candidates that they're prepared to move on from Paxson and Foreman, grant true autonomy, and provide the financial resources necessary to plot a path back to the Eastern Conference contention. Your skepticism can be heard in league circles too, and Chicago has certainly earned it. So Mark Stein's not mincing any words in what he says about the Bulls organization, and to those of us that watch Bulls basketball and have seen what's happened over the last, almost feels like the better part of John Paxson's tenure, it does ring true. And when you take those two opinions, and then think about where this search started. The first name that we heard of a while, probably a couple weeks back now, is Chad Buchanan, the GM of the Indiana Pacers who works under Kevin Pritchard, who's their president of basketball ops. It can be weird, I know, at times in the NBA because some GMs are the top guy. Most GMs are like the number two guy to the president of basketball operations or in consideration what it's going to be for the Bulls, executive VP of basketball operations. Either way, Chad Buchanan, the number two guy in Indiana. Then you hear the initial list of candidates come out, and you had Arturis Karnaschovas on there. You had Chad Buchanan. You had Adam Simon from the Heat's front office and the GM of the Raptors, Bobby Webster. But when you see how these names kind of all fell off the map, it does make you think about more of what Mark Stein said. Now, Buchanan, before interviews even really started taking place, knocked himself out of the running. I do wonder how much of his candidacy could have been agent-driven as much as anything. Because why would his name leak out way before anybody, weeks before anybody else's, and then for him to take his name out of contention really before the process gets started in earnest? Maybe it was just a solid, but the agent putting that out there to say, hey, this is a guy that doesn't necessarily get mentioned enough for these openings, so I'm going to insert his name into what happened with the Bulls, maybe because they had just a cursory initial phone call and making it sound a little more serious than it is. I have no sources to necessarily back that up, but when I try and look at the timeline, that is something that is a little skeptical to me. Now, what happened with Bobby Webster, who really seemed to be the people's champ for this position, is the Raptors have so much uncertainty in their front office. Their entire coaching staff and front office is unsigned after next season. Every single one of them. So they essentially said, hey, we're not going to allow you to interview him essentially because we don't quite know what's happening here ourselves. They don't know if Masai Ujiri is going to stay, if he's going to sign an extension or go do something else or go to a different team. And then Adam Simon is just a priority for the Miami Heat, so they said they are prioritizing keeping him. So that knocked three of the initial four candidates off the list. 
Now, a report that had come out, I believe from Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago covering the Bulls, was that the Bulls didn't want to mess with anybody that had the agent background. That's kind of been the trend as of late, is people that either were agents or have some time in their past as an agent. The Bulls didn't want that. But then after Buchanan, Simon, and Webster dropped out, all of a sudden you saw Justin Zanuck. You saw his name pop back into the fold, and I do find that interesting. Then we come to today where... Danny Ferry, Wes Wilcox, and Brian Colangelo come in. I I don't know. Looking at the the resume of those guys, it just strikes me as only a a cursory interview. Hey, Brian Colangelo, can you just like not send any tweets from a burner account? We'll say, you know, we interviewed you. Who knows how serious that actually was? And just fine, whatever. Get your name back into the ether a little bit. Same for Wes Wilcox, who's been working at NBA TV, also a really good podcast guest, and Danny Ferry, who's had a couple rounds in NBA circles. So the next thing that I noticed in this search, and it was mentioned in the bit from Mark Stein that I read, is the lack of top-tier current president of basketball operations number one guys. Because you would think a guy like maybe Sam Presti, who's in Oklahoma City, would say, you know what, I'd want to be able to get the opportunity at a big-time market. Or a guy like Masai Ujiri, who only has one year left on his deal after this one, would he maybe want a fresh start and get to rebuild another organization and really just help his legacy that much more considering what he did in Denver and what he's done already in Toronto? But we don't see that. And as Mark Stein said, probably the Bulls not wanting to pay up. Not wanting to pay up for that top executive. Now, I do think... While I do believe that's fair, that's a fair criticism, especially knowing the history of this organization when it comes to front office and coaching staff, I do think it's a little unfair. But one thing that I I will say the Bulls have done wrong from the start with this search is just how it was framed. And Ben Golliver from the Washington Post was on 670 The Score with Danny Parkins and Dan McNeil, and he mentioned how the Bulls screwed this process up from the start. What they really should have done is come out and say, we want to hire the best of the best, and we're completely cleaning house. Had they done that, they would be having access to, I think, better possible candidates, and maybe even some of those guys who are turning them down already would have had more interest in that type of a job, right? I, I don't think the Bulls' problem is they didn't identify the right candidates. I think the Bulls' problem was they didn't set the table well enough to attract those candidates. I mean, Bobby Webster is another great example, and I understand that maybe they're not going to be able to interview him, but that guy is whip smart, one of the youngest GMs to ever uh, win a title, uh, had his fingerprints all over you know, helping Masai put together that roster. And he's been sort of the public face of the, the organization all year doing media interviews and kind of stepping up. To me, he's ready for that next job, right? So what is it that you can do to appeal to him where he goes to his owner and says, you know what, this is a job that I'm really, really interested in. You've got to give me an opportunity to go interview for this. And maybe things could have happened. But if you're saying, you know, Paxson's going to be there, Foreman might be there, uh, you know, Boylan's under contract and everything else, I think you're going to get a lot of guys saying thanks, but no thanks. I think that's a great point by Ben. So much of the issue for the Bulls has just been perception. So even if they threw the feeler out there, they threw the request to speak with Sam Presti, with Masai Ujiri, and I use their names because they're the ones that have been thrown out there the most as an example of top-level president of basketball operations guy. So that's why I use their two names. Even if you just throw their names out there and you get turned down, then you go to the second tier guys. Maybe they have a different perception of what the Bulls are trying to do that. Maybe they are trying to be serious. 
oh, you were willing to put the money forth for Masai? Okay, that means this team's finally willing to spend big time. To me, if I was one of those candidates, if I was a Bobby Webster, even within the same organization, or if I was Adam Simon, if I heard that, I would be more likely to say if I was maybe lukewarm on interviewing for this position anyway, going to my higher-ups and saying, hey, I understand for Toronto's case specifically. We've got a lot of uncertainty in the future, but you know what? This is an opportunity I really want to interview for right now. You know, my dad grew up in Chicago. I grew up as a Bulls fan, whatever, whether that actually means anything to him or not. I do think that's something that could have been done to maybe raise the stature of what the Bulls, of what the perception of the Bulls job could be this offseason. And I know in that instance, it's not just the money. One of your main sticking points has been, what will the role of John Paxson and Gar Foreman be, if any, moving forward? Casey Johnson, NBC Sports Chicago's Bulls beat writer, was on the Bulls Talk podcast and laid out specifically where the Bulls are right now. And I want you to hear this, and then I'll explain why it still frustrates me, even though Casey's given the answer a lot of us want to hear. It's already been conveyed to all the potential candidates that, that this job is, is yours. It's a blank canvas. It's a blank slate. The person that they're hiring is going to be running basketball operations. I've, I've reported this till I'm blue in the face, and I still get questions about it. John Paxson will take as small or as large of a role as this new hire wants. If this new hire wants John Paxson hanging out in the suite and just – you know, being Bulls legend, cool. If, if he wants to use John's institutional knowledge of the organization and the city and that kind of stuff, cool too. Gar, I think, is a little trickier. Gar is valued as a scout. That's what he's largely been doing since he took that backseat um, and he's no longer the public face of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'll be given an opportunity by the Reinsdorfs to stay on as a scout. However, if whoever they hire comes in and says, you know what, that's just not happening. That's not working for me because of the history or what have you. Then Gar's going to be looking for a job. Like I said, it's what you've wanted to hear for years about Gar Foreman and John Paxson. Their fate is at the mercy of whoever comes in and takes this executive VP of basketball operations job. The problem is it took so long for that to become apparent. I mean, think about how many times you could sense in that cut, even Casey's frustration that he has reported this in one way, shape, or form, but it hasn't been explicitly said until recently that, yes, whoever comes in determines 100% of where those guys are. Joe Cowley of the Sun-Times had the report out there that if the new guy wants it, John, John Paxson will leave the organization entirely. If all of that was out there from Jump Street, you can't tell me that wouldn't help the perception of this job to more of the top-end second banana candidates. I don't think there's any way that that getting out there sooner hurts the Bulls in their process. It's maybe sticking in your cross still of why a second banana. I've got another reason as to why a second banana makes a lot of sense in this specific instance, in this weird COVID-19 based season for the NBA, because all the timing is thrown off. We don't know when the season's going to pick back up, if the season's going to pick back up, what that's going to mean for the timeline of the offseason, when the draft's going to be, when free agency's going to be. But if you make the moves now, it does give the Bulls an advantage. Because if you think about some of the other teams out there, like maybe a Houston with Daryl Morey, who knows if Daryl Morey keeps his job, and even thinking of the head coaching jobs that could open up around the league, assuming 
whoever the Bulls hire want to move on from Jim Boylan. The Bulls are going to have to make a head coaching hire as well. Here's a reason that from the same Woj pod that Adrian Wojnarowski gives as to why doing everything right now could be advantageous for the Bulls. It's going to be interesting how other teams approach making changes in this offseason because something that's going to become a factor is cost. All of a sudden, as revenue has stopped and teams are losing money and they don't know what it's going to look like by the end of the year, are are they going to play any games? Are they going to get money back from the players in the force majeure, if games are canceled, and as we reported, the teams will get that money back from the players in that process. So I do think some organizations that might have looked at making changes in the front office or even with head coaches who have money left on their deals, now they're looking at the cost of not just having to buy out or pay someone the balance of their contract. Now you're going out to hire somebody new and the costs that come with that And they're going to be looking at that against their balance sheet of what's gone on the last few months. And I I am interested to see how that impacts coaching and front office changes here in this offseason. So for the Bulls, they'll be the only ones in the market right now. Think of everything they've said they want to accomplish. They want to expand the scouting department. They want to expand the analytics department. They It could be a whole front office restructure on the whim of whoever is hired. If the Bulls can embrace this one word that hasn't necessarily been in their vernacular. This could be maybe not a home run off season, but at least a double or a triple. And that word is aggression. In theory, the Bulls are saving some money by not going for the top tier guy, by not going for Masai Ujiri, by not going for Sam Presti. If they end up hiring Justin Zanuck or Arturis Karnaschovas, they should have more money to be able to spend to make their organization deeper. Thinking about not just the executive VP of basketball ops spot, but who they hire as the number two guy as the GM in the scouting department, analytics, the training staff. When I think of ways to do that in one off season and completely change the perception of an organization, it wasn't that long ago that you have to look back at David Griffin in New Orleans. Now, I understand he had... He had some time as the number one dude when he was hired. But think about what the Pelicans were able to do. They brought in David Griffin. He brought in Trajan Langdon, who some thought could have maybe gotten that job in and of himself. He brings in the training staff from Phoenix that he worked with when he was in the Suns front office. It's considered one of the best in the entire league. Now, obviously, he also had the number one pick, and he had Anthony Davis to trade. But when you just look at the front office... Everything except for what was on the court, the perception of the New Orleans Pelicans changed just like that. That's something that with this odd opportunity the Bulls have been given, as the one organization really looking to restructure everything, they have that opportunity to be aggressive in the time that is allowed right now in the NBA to raid other teams' front offices, get, if not the best of the best, the best available people to fill out a new front office so that whoever is hired as the main decision maker can put himself in the best position to succeed by having the best group of people around him. That is something that I honestly didn't think, you know, going back a couple of years when you first start thinking about the Bulls making these types of moves, that that would be possible. But it's a unique circumstance that at least we all hope will never happen again. 
So the Bulls need to take advantage of it while they have the opportunity. Your opportunity is now not to just be aggressive in signing your number one guy, but to fill out the organization as such as well. With that said about the Bulls organization, we have to be realistic here looking at the Bulls that they're being interviewed as much as the candidates are being interviewed. When you say Chicago Bulls front office, there's a lot surrounding that. So here's what I would do. If I'm the Bulls, this has to be your pitch to whoever it is about what the Bulls are as an organization and what the Bulls can be with the support they're prepared to give whoever gets this main job. Obviously, the history of stability already mentioned. It's a world-class city. Being one of the major markets in the NBA, you think about it with the Bulls and the Knicks. Those are the two that are brought up the most now that the Lakers are back to prominence of if these organizations could only be competent, how much it would help themselves and the NBA. You get to determine who stays and who goes. We talked about it before. You heard the KC cut from before. Whoever gets this job gets the blank slate to do what they want with this Bulls organization and drag it into the 2020s. Even when you start looking at on the court, the Bulls do have a pretty clean cap sheet. There's the last year of Otto Porter's big deal on there, but it is only one year. So I think that's a positive. You have all your first round picks moving forward. The players you have are young. So even guys that are underperforming Larry Markkinen, you might be able to get a little bit of something or you still have a little bit of time on their rookie deal to try and save what save some of the value that they've had. And if we're being real, how low is the bar going to be to start? If one of these two main candidates comes in, changes things on the roster, changes style of play, even if the Bulls don't win many more games, but it looks better and it seems like there's a cohesive plan going on, in the short term, I think Bulls fans are going to be happy. There's been so much losing that even if there's another year or two of losing to a certain extent, but it feels like there's a plan involved, I think people will be on board for that. And obviously having the wiggle room that the front office is going to provide as well. Michael Reinsdorf wants whoever is going to be executive VP of basketball ops to be able to run the basketball side of the organization. And there aren't that many places in the NBA anymore where you can honestly say ownership doesn't really meddle that much. Just ask Daryl Morey about that. Think about the transition he's had to go through with Tillman Fertitta buying the Houston Rockets and how that's changed the fortunes of that franchise. All right, one more cut here from Casey Johnson on the Bulls Talk podcast about the timing. How quick could this initial decision be made and how that affects all the other moves that they have to make this offseason? This is something I can see moving pretty quickly here now they have these interviews lined up because, as I said, Michael's spent a lot of time on it. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Bulls have a new head of basketball operations uh, some point this week or by next week. Okay, so that from KC. I mean, I'm recording here on Wednesday afternoon, and that means in a day. It could be as quick as a day that the Bulls have their new executive VP of basketball ops, their new number one guy. I should really just go with number one guy. Let's just go with that from here on in. So as we look at it, I mentioned the three new interviews that happened today on Wednesday. Danny Ferry, who, by the way, it is kind of wild that he's getting an interview considering the things that he said about uh, Luol Deng back in 2012, I believe, 
if you're wondering what I look up, look it up if you're a little lost on what I mean by that. But the fact that he gets an interview is kind of crazy. So Danny Ferry, Wes Wilcox, former, once again, former Hawks GM, who now works at NBA TV as an analyst. He got an interview and Brian Colangelo, he of the burner accounts. And also, to be honest, you know, worked in three different, worked as a main guy in three different organizations. So he does have some credentials by him. But let's focus on the other two candidates. The first two that we heard of getting interviews are Turis Karnaschovas and Justin Zanuck. Karnaschovas, according to Vince Goodwill of Yahoo, is quote-unquote the leader in the clubhouse at this point. And Casey Johnson reported today that the Karnaschovas interview left a quote strong impression on Bulls Brass. So if I had to venture a guess at this point, I would think he's going to be the guy, but Hey, we don't know. We don't know if there are any other random candidates out there. We don't know if there are going to be any more serious candidates out there. But just to get a, to know a little bit more about the Nuggets GM. So Karnaschovas works under Tim Connolly. He's the president of basketball ops up in Denver. And I found some interesting notes from Gina Mazzell's article. She writes for the Denver Post. This was in 2018 about Karnaschovas. She did a feature on him. And one thing I've heard that a lot of people want from the next head of basketball ops is someone that is a front presence, not the hockey term, not a net front presence. That's something totally different, but a frontward presence that is good with the media can explain what's going on. Cause that's something that honestly the bulls have had some issues with. They've had plenty of PR gaffes over the years, but when reading this article by Gina Mazel, seems like Karnaschovas is not the biggest fan of being a front facing guy and that Tim Connolly handled much more of those duties. TJ McBride, who writes about the Nuggets for Mile High Sports, said he's, quote, extremely organized and stoic. Extremely organized, good. But when you're thinking about someone being more of a dynamic personality to be the face of your organization, I don't know if stoic is necessarily the best word, but one thing everybody has said about him from Woj, from Gina, from TJ, from anybody that knows the NBA and knows Arturus says that he's one of the most respected evaluators, not only here, but around the globe. Because one of the cool things about Arturis, if you didn't know, he was actually on the Lithuanian 92 Olympic team that went up against the Dream Team. I believe they got the bronze that year. So it's just a cool experience for him. I know he gets asked about it all the time, but I do find that incredibly fascinating. And ever since then, he's been scouting, and that's been one of his main positives as a front office guy is his scouting. He was the driving force that got Nikola Jokic to Denver. Now, I think everybody would be lying if they said at the time they knew Nikola Jokic could be what he's turned into at this point. But to, but to see the raw skills in a, in a pudgy guy like that, you have to respect that and think that's a good sign. I mean, look at all the international sign, uh, draft picks and signings that Denver has had. They're two main guys. Jamal Murray's Canadian. I understand he played here in the States. But he had a lot of his pre-college experience in Canada. And I think that absolutely matters. So to have someone that is well-versed across the world, has the connections across the world, I think is incredibly interesting. And here's a quote from that Gina Mazzell piece from 2018 from Tim Connolly about Arturis Karnaschovas. Quote, so much of the process we have in place and how we approach what's important to us is kind of a brainchild of his. To me, that says a lot, especially thinking about the Bulls situation. When you're thinking about what the Bulls are doing and how much structure they need to be put in place, having those attributes, I think, works really well in Arturis Karnaschovas' corner. 
So let's take a look then at the other main candidate, Justin Zanuck, who's the GM in Utah. He's the number two guy under Dennis Lindsay, who's their president of basketball ops. There are some reports that have said the Jazz are, quote, appear intent on keeping Zanuck, but a couple things that work in the Bulls' favor, possibly. He kind of grew up professionally around, around the Chicagoland area. He went to college at Northwestern. He's got an interesting background, too, that he's a little bit of an outside-the-box thinker at times, just based on his family. Actually, he started he actually started in college the way I did as a, a music major. He wanted to do vocal performance. I was doing music, music education, for those that are keeping score at home. But that he's been one of the most trusted people in the Utah Jazz organization from the time he got there. He even left for a year to go to Milwaukee to be the GM in waiting when John Hammond left. He was planning on leaving, and it was kind of assumed Zanuck would get the job, but then there was quarreling with the ownership in Milwaukee after that last season, and essentially it seems like Justin Zanuck got done dirty. John Horst has been a very good GM for Milwaukee, but still, the way it was handled, Zanuck went back to Utah after that and has been there ever since. Again, he's another one that is one of the more respected number two guys in the league and plays a big role in a lot of the transactions that happen in Utah and coming up and strategizing and coming up with the plans that are happening with the Jazz. So for everything we've said so far about what the Bulls are right now, all the issues that they have, when it comes down to it, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly and it really seems like it's down to these two guys, it's a pretty solid two guys to be choosing from. If in the middle of the season, you had told me, listen, they're going to open this up and whoever, and they are going to hire one of these two guys and they're going to be able to run roughshod over this front office and remake it whatever way they wanted, I'd probably be happy. I wouldn't be ecstatic. Ecstatic is saved for if you get the elite of the elite guys, but I would definitely be happy. So what are maybe a couple things, like when I look at this job and what I'm looking for the Bulls to get in that executive I don't want someone that's afraid to be different. I want someone that's got a balance of analytics and the eye test and scouting on, off the court, whatever. And I think that both of these guys fit this. And it's more defined in what Arturus Karnaschovas does, but clearly Justin Zanuck has those capabilities as well. Being well-connected. I think that one is fairly obvious, and it's kind of hard to not clear that bar of being more connected than what the perception of that front office has been for quite a while now. I want someone that's cold in their evaluations of players. I think one of the biggest things that has hurt the Bulls, really in a lot of Chicago franchises over the last at least decade, is the ability to self-scout. It's human nature to have a little bit of attachment to people that you brought in, that you put your reputation on the line for, that you made connections with in either the pre-draft process or the free agency process. I understand that to a point, but when push comes to shove, and it's time to make decisions, you absolutely have to be able to make the right decision for the franchise, even if it doesn't necessarily make your previous investments look the best. That is something that the Bulls are notoriously bad at in the Gar and Pax regime. So that's something that I really put a lot of emphasis on. And then just a clear, logical vision. What do you want this team to be? How are you trying to get them there? That's all I need to know. I don't think that's asking too much, but it is something that we just have not seen in this town very much lately. So if I had my druthers, I would probably be hiring Arturus Karnaschovas at this point. Detail-oriented guy, 
crazy about preparation, very well connected around the league. The Nuggets have been a real interesting organization. Honestly, one of my favorite organizations to watch over the last few years as well as Nikola Jokic has flourished and they have so much depth on that roster. He's the guy that of the two main candidates right now, Justin Zanuck and Arturis Karnaschovas, Arturis is the guy that I want for the Bulls executive VP of basketball ops. I know I gave you a lot there and I don't want this podcast more often than not is just me more or less lecturing. I want there to be interaction. So make sure to email the podcast basketballcamppod at gmail.com. Tweet me at any point at Rick C camp. If you tweet me something I find interesting, we'll get to it on the podcast. My DMS are open as well. If you'd rather do it that way. Cool. And before I go one more time, I want to thank Lawrence Holmes for giving me the platform. It's definitely been an interesting week for me, uh, getting laid off from 670 The Score, kind of having the weekend to, you know, go through my emotions and try and figure out what I want to do. But when I think about people that are friends and co-workers and colleagues, Lawrence is one of, if not the best, at trying to champion other people's careers. And I thoroughly appreciate that. So for letting me put this episode here on House of L, Lawrence, thank you, thank you so much. And one more thing before I go, keep an eye on social media at Rick C. Camp. If you're friends with me on Facebook, cool. Feel free to friend me if you want. That's where I'll be posting when the podcast is up and running. It's up on iTunes. It's up on all your major platforms. That's where I'll be putting it out initially. Thanks so much for listening. I'm excited to see what the Bulls are going to do with their organization. This has been episode one of Basketball Camp.